they're really part of the conversation to start the podcast to begin with. I mean, Roy and I both have been working with them, you know, pretty intimately from day one. Um, <clears throat> I reached out to them early on uh, when I was AOSA president, actually. Mm. Really how it started. Really? I reached out to them because I was on a rotation with a student um, in the middle of nowhere, Montana, we are in IHS, and uh, he had a Valley Contacts fitting kit. And I'm like, how'd you get that? You know, what, what is that? Show me that thing. And um, they, he went to SEO, I was, I was PCO, and uh, they actually had a, 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 a really strong relationship with one of the preceptor or one of the um, docs there at SEO. Who was and it? They gave, I don't even know who it was. Don't know. Um, the and I don't even remember the guy's name. Um, I'll, I'll think of it eventually. But um, we were stuck there in Montana together. It was a great rotation, of course. But um, yeah, no, I don't know who the doctor was. One of their contact lens faculty, I assume. Um, yep. And so they, um, yeah, they gave a free set to every senior graduating. Smart. Um, yeah, great, great idea. And so I reached out to them and I said, you know, I've been trying to get something like this going with a specialty lens company. Um, no specialty lens companies even came to talk to us at the AOSA meeting. It just was kind of like a void. And there was always like this thing, like, you know, you have to invest, you know, X hundreds of dollars to buy a fitting set. Um, I don't know. I, I get that. And there's a pro and con, you know, should we spend all this money to give people fitting sets that collect dust or, or not? So anyway, I reached out to them and I said, you know, we really should do something. No one's, no one's doing this. This is an open area. Um, we'd like to, you know, get you hooked up with the OSA. And so it was a, the start of a conversation. It's evolved. And, um, you know, really we, started you know to have these educators and Roy is one of the educators you know that go out and talk to schools and do workshops and so there's about 12 of us now um and then out of that came also what's called the extern five pack which is a five set of lenses right in the bell curve it's a 15-8 diameter of their custom stable design mm -hmm. which is you know really basic um sort of covers most things uh scleral lens so it's worked out well and, you know, honestly, it was a little bit more, it was a little bit more their idea than ours. I mean, we, we like to take the credit, but um, well, maybe I like to take the credit. Um, and, uh, uh, but really, you know, they were looking for new marketing ways to, to kind of start. And they said, would you guys be interested in sort of doing this? And, you know, we would like to support it, but it's, it's, it's your idea. You know, if you want to just do whatever you want to do, you know, we would like to, um, support it and uh, see kind of where it goes and yeah it's as you know a lot of um, thought and uh, putting stuff together and um, trying to come up with content but um, we've grown and it's it's been fun and people give us some good feedback but there's there's so much more that we could be doing certainly Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a fun conversation with the purveyors, none other than Roya Habibi and James Diem from Try Not to Blink Podcast. And I reached out to them. I was on my way back from a meeting in South Dakota. And um, for the first year of this podcast, I have really tried to avoid 
listening to other optometry podcasts, mainly because I wanted to make sure that I was developing my own style and my own voice for the podcast without having any influence or mirroring of what other people were doing. And so now that I feel like I've, I've hit my stride and, and kind of developed the podcast the way I want it to sound, I started saying, okay, let me, let me think about listening to some other podcasts. And the top one on my list that has been there for uh, well over a year was Try Not to Blink. And so I uh, listened to one of their episodes. It was their first new episode of the year. And, um, and one of the things that I heard James say on it was that his goal was to expand his listenership. And so I thought, well, I know James um, because of our relationship within the AOSA and some of the leadership structure that he's really involved in. And so I figured I'd reach out to him and see if they'd want to come on my podcast. And then they were so gracious to have me on theirs as well. So we'll give you a teaser on this podcast feed to link to their podcast, but check them out. Try not to blink. It was a ton of fun to talk about podcasting and dry eye and communication and, and private equity and kind of all the, the hot topics of the day. So enjoy our conversation and give us a five-star review. Be sure to share this with your friends, write some positive comments in, in the review section of your favorite podcasting app. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And as always, please be sure to support those who support us. I think we're in the best time to practice optometry. Yes, on this podcast, we've discussed the expansion of corporate entities, vertical integration, online retailers, and unproven technology. But I truly believe if we're taking care of our patients and offering the newest and best options for their eye health and vision, these disruptors will only serve as a clear distinguisher between what patients can get from them and what they expect from us. So I was excited to find out that CooperVision recently received approval for its new Biofinity Toric multifocal contact lenses from the US FDA. In our practice, we've had a ton of success for our patients in terms of comfort, vision, and stability with proven optical designs of CooperVision's Biofinity Torque. The Biofinity Torque Multifocal combines that torque design and its rapid stabilization with the flexibility and customization of the Biofinity Multifocal lens. This provides our presbyopic astigmatic patients with an excellent option for minimizing their dependence on glasses. Check out the show notes and link to Cooper Vision's website for contact lens parameters and more release information. Yeah. Oh that's actually just common courtesy of responding to emails. That's brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just do all the talking and do none of the work. That's funny. That's funny. Um, so, I, well, how do you get out of responding to emails? So I think that's, you know, that's one question I think just in general in our culture is that you can get overwhelmed and I actually find that it's it's easy and Roy you, this may drive you nuts maybe we hit on a topic that uh, of Jamie that that's that gets you a little bit but oh yeah definitely um, <laughs> you know some people um, like I can I can't not respond to an email like within the day I've, I've sort of got this rule where um, and it's not written down but I, I sort of follow it like if I get an email I try to respond to everybody by the end of the day but one of the things that I've done that has been really helpful to me and I think to, to people so that I kind of put up barriers so I'm not that accessible is the snooze function or the um, send later function on Gmail. So so I, I, I will, I mean, I shouldn't say this on the podcast, but I, st I will do work on Saturdays and Sundays uh, and Friday when I'm not seeing patients, right? But, um, but like in order to like have this barrier of separation, I'll make sure that I'll send everything on Monday morning if I do the work on Saturday or Sunday only because I don't want people to think like, 
hey, I can get in touch with him anytime I want. I'm trying to, I'm trying to use that as sort of a buffer. Do you guys use that at all? Jamie, you just don't respond. <laughs> it's not on purpose, okay? Uh, you know, I'm just, um, uh, yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I want to respond and it does. It wears on me <laughs> just like I'm sure it wears on you. Uh, you know, it's just easy to, for, you know, the, the list of things that keep growing and somehow it gets buried and, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I need uh, to be better about it. But um, I don't have any real thoughtful approach to it. It's just, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. It's on his like annual like year goals. Oh, yeah, that's it, one of my was goals. It a goal. Okay. Listen to our, uh, you know, I did like listen to that goal. Podcast. That goal one. Yes. No, totally joking. I don't. I think I should actually use that. My husband is like the techiest person alive. Like any app, especially regarding email, he's tried, and they then know so he'll many just apps. tell me to use all these apps, and I've become like this annoying. Like I just resisted because he tells me it's a good idea. Uh, so, he told me about the adult thing, function, I think. And so now I just haven't tried it, but it honestly would be helpful because I do find that me, I'm an impulsive person in a sense. Like, if I see something, I want to respond right away with exactly what I'm thinking in the moment. Versus if I sit and wait on it for a couple of days, I often have a much more elegant response. Mm, oh yeah. So, I do, I have started waiting, and that actually kind of punishes me sometimes because I forget and then feel like a jerk. But, <laughs> I keep, I have a general system in my like Google email or my Gmail account where I like unread everything I've read. Oh yeah. I'm with you. I, I hate <laughs> notifications. Like Jimmy's well, probably the kind of person that has question. like 7,000 notifications on his phone. How many unread, uh, what's your little circle? Oh God, I don't, I can't, don't even <laughs> say anything Jimmy because if you say anything more than like 15, I'll just cry. What's and yours? Then, well, for me? Yeah. Uh, my unread right now is... I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I use my unread as like, um, I'll read something and then I know I'll, I'll unread it to make sure it's on my list of replies. So I've got, I've got 11, 11 that I got to get to. Take a look. Can you see that? What is your, Oh, oh no God, that's literally <laughs> disturbing. Dude. No. Yeah. No, it's no all nonsense. So it's, it's garbage. Yeah. It's all I garbage. Know. All I you have to do is swipe left. Swipe left. Just swipe left. If I'm around nine what is what do you mean swipe left? Did if you just you swipe left? If it's something you, you know, if it's something from Valley Contacts that you don't want to see, <laughs> then you just <laughs> swipe just left. left. And then it's done. It's, <laughs> it's gone. Where does it's it go? archived? It's archived. I could still get it. You can still get it. Okay. Well, I I should say not from Valley Contacts, from from Art Optical. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know do you know that so I, I told you I've listened to um I've I've listened to one full episode. Uh, it's very good. Could do better. I, I will. I, I will. That's my one of my New Year's resolutions. All right, fine. But you know, you have um, you get into advertisement voice. Has anybody told you that? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. As soon as it comes time, here comes. Uh, <laughs> then you know the that's, that's how you know that we're stepping aside from yeah. you know our doctor. It's like a mask on it's our like advertising. We don't have any problem doing that. Yeah. No, I think it's okay. I. I um no it's just an observation. One of the things that really um I like I, it. No, I try <laughs> anybody else tell you that? I think Roy has mentioned it before. Okay. Um you know I think I probably I mean like intro. we probably all intro. sort of do No, yeah. you're right. speak to each other or like just like have different voices depending on the 
seriousness of what you're talking about <laughs> almost. Voice. I like that. Do you, um, do you find one of the things that, that I'm re- I really try to do with my podcast is try to get to the next level of stuff with, with people. Totally. And, um, and one of the things that drives me up the wall is if, so I'll try to, and I'm not picking like to the sense of like, I want to play gotcha with somebody, but I'm trying to like um, find these points that they're interested in and then they get off their script. Yes. You ever totally. find that you get people on the podcast that are like, I'm staying on topic. This is all I'm going to talk about. And no matter what you do, you can't get th- them off. I think the big thing is like, we don't <laughs> yeah. give anyone a script at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't give I mean, that frustrates people. Yeah. It, I think that people get really intimidated when they come to talk on podcasts, especially like people who do speak a lot because they're used to having their bullet points. Mm. And so to say like, hey, we want to have you on this episode for potentially a little bit. They're like, what am I going to talk about? Like, mm. prepare me. Can you send me a list of and, things to say? Yeah, exactly. No. And it's like, this is just <laughs> going to be conversational. Like this is talking about like how you would talk to your patient. So you don't need to prepare for this, but people still get nervous about it. And it, it yeah. is funny, like the people you can tell are avoiding you on purpose, right? Like they're like, <laughs> like don't, like Jimmy, not responding to your emails. Oh, they make it like such an inconvenience that you're asking them to do this. It's like, dude, this is going to be helpful for you too. And it's really not a hassle. It's actually quite fun. Yeah. You actually are you talking, should want to do, you should be begging us to do this podcast. <laughs> right? like, Darn it. We're going to be talking about stuff you like talking that's about. Not, that's not how we feel. We really do. Look, it's tough, man. It's tough to get people, you know, to come and spend their time. And, you know, then they're dealing with technical stuff and they, you know, show their, their dumb side. And that's a little bit, mm. um, you know, uh, exposing, I think, for people. But, yeah, definitely. Um, and we, we try and do some, you said take it to the next level. I almost like to take it to, like, the like yes. before, like the personal, like the, you know, try and get to know people. I know you do the same thing. Um, you know, and that, and that's, I think wonderful to try and break people down a little bit and get to know a little bit about their personal side too. Um, so that's something that we've always tried to, um, espouse is be funny, real. Um, and, and we try to bring some, some clinical stuff, but also the levity, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. I, I so that's that's. I guess I guess I would say my frustration as a as a conversationalist is if I can't get somebody to talk about just something that I feel they're really passionate about. And there's been a handful of conversations I've had where I'm just like, man, I just couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't ask the right question. I don't blame them. Yeah. Uh, I I think I couldn't ask the right question or bring up the right topic that they were so passionate enough that they just had a conversation with me. And that's happened a couple of times where I just, I'm at the end, I'm just kind of like, I'm a half hour in and I'm like, I can't, there's nothing else I can ask you. We're not getting you off. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, it's interesting. I think you see it on people because people clam up in front of cameras hmm. and people clam up, you know, on podcasts, especially, you know, you could see them doing it because we're videoing and sharing video. We always tell them we're not going to record this. We're not going to keep it. It's just so that we could see each other and, you know, kind of have that extra interaction. And um, people get nervous when we say, okay, we're recording. And then like, oh, yeah. they're talking and everything's good and we're flowing and we're jiving and we're giggling and we're joking about patients. And then we press record and it's like, oh, <gasps> you know? Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. It's the worst. It's, it's it the is. worst. I, I, so it's come, it, it'll be the episode before this. Um, but it's, it's, uh, 
So I had an uh, awesome conversation with uh, Adam Ramsey. And, um, and so for the first eight minutes, he didn't know we were recording. And it was a great conversation. He goes, and, and I actually lead into the intro of the podcast with some of the outtakes when he's like, wait, are we recording? No, we got to start over. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we're not starting over. And then if afterwards, I do this all the time. We'll, we'll, we'll be in. I'll say, thanks for coming on, blah, 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 blah. And I'll hit end recording. And then we'll talk offline for 40 minutes. And that's <laughs> just like the best conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because... <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. Exactly. That's what I need side, to do. Side record it. Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. Don't, no longer has the like beeping button. I, th- yeah. I think too, it's, it's so much more personable to hear a conversation than to hear a lecture. Right. Mm. And like, I think that's when I like, will take something really like, okay, this person is a legit person and not like Dr. Diem. Right. Yeah. Like, this is a, someone that I, a colleague and someone I could relate to. And I think it's fun to hear people mess up. And I think it's fun, not because you were making fun of someone, but because yeah. it's like, they're a real person too. It's so much more relatable. And so like, let's say we're talking about scleral lenses and the expert in scleral lenses like fuddles their words or like, you know, says something funny or whatever. It's like, I'm like that person. Why can't I try something new or whatever yeah. it is? Like, I mean, this is applicable in, in any setting, but I think it's, I think it's just so much more relatable when it's a conversation and not a script. Yeah. So I think sometimes what I do and Jimmy's much better at like kind of engaging with people in that sense. <laughs> I'm, and he'll just like go on tangents with people and like whatever. I bad. just like want to have the conversation be very strong. So like I, just because we've all gotten good at this, just with patient care and whatnot mm. and knowing when to interrupt someone gracefully, <laughs> but to get them on the topic you really want them to talk about is to cut off that, like to, to know how to say those talk. questions. Schedule. But not even just a schedule. Like it's like you're tangenting. No one cares about this. <laughs> what they care about is what you have to say. You don't need to describe how to do this or, yeah. you know, like how to kind of navigate that conversation so that you're not. Yeah. We've learned a lot how to work our yin and yang to try Mm. and direct the direction the way, direct the the conversation the way that we've sort of thought it would go. Yeah. Do you, um, so that's a totally different dynamic, you know, having the two of you. Um, How did you, did you guys go to school together? Jim, Jimmy, you were two years behind me as AOSA president. When were you as a presidency? 2010 or 2009? No, I was several years after you. Okay. Um, I was. Uh, you look older. <laughs> well, I'll take that, <laughs> I guess. You and you look younger, despite Thanks. you know yeah. your family, um, <laughs> which we're going to get to that. Um, Thirteen, fourteen, actually. I graduated. Oh, wow. Fourteen. Yeah. Yes, sir. Time yes, flies, sir. man. Yeah. So, yeah. how did you guys meet? Most of it was from. I mean, like school stuff definitely like overlapped because we were both involved in things, but. Honestly, like our connection was really through our sponsor. They're the ones who kind of like put it together. It, it was an independent decision that they kind of made. And at first I was like, that kid's weird. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I know. I should have stuck with my gut to be honest. Yeah. But. <laughs> really? Yeah. No, we would have never probably been brought together if it wasn't. Mm. Yeah. It's just, you know, not that it didn't and it hasn't worked out, but it just. Yeah. We are I mean, we're too far. We're far apart. Like it honestly is kind of an inconvenience to like yeah. record all of our recordings. We're part of every recording. Like both of us are a part of every episode. 
and every episode we're spanning three time zones and half at least half the time having a guest on too so it, it can be really logistically challenging like we were yeah. recently trying to get a company and we're like yeah we need their their east coast time zone and they actually they asked to be part of it first and mm-hmm. then we were like okay like let's do this and they were like well we can't do anything after business it's like well if you want to be part of this this yeah. is your like, here's your go like, yeah. this is a good thing for you if it's yeah. that inconvenient it takes literally 30 minutes but yeah but yeah it becomes logistically challenging sometimes especially if we're on some sort of deadline and we're behind which yeah. never really happens <laughs> yeah we're never on a you guys never stack them you never Always like stack them we're gonna yeah. be on right now afterwards oh yeah yeah well i mean um so like i mean like um you know I, i've got I've got out, you know, six, seven weeks in advance that are already done. So if I'm, if I'm traveling a lot, I'll, I, what's, I love to have conversations like you guys said, where you're on the videos, but there is nothing better than being face to face with somebody and the the quality sounds better. The dynamic is better. So, you know, when I travel, I always try to stack them like that. And, um, and you know, a lot of times it's just easier to, to get to the heart of something that's going on. Like you've already talked about it at a meeting. So there's a lot of yeah. background that's already occurred. Um, but you guys, you guys will stack them out a month, two months advance if you've got enough. We do a up. minimum of two weeks, but the, yeah. I mean, we do want our content to be pretty fresh and mm-hmm. a lot of, I mean, one of our, the, our general structure is that we have, we front load stuff, just like conversation, news updates, uh, story, yeah. you know, like chit chat essentially. And then mm-hmm. the end or second main part of each episode is like a topic. So like if we record, you know, a month or so in advance, sometimes then by the time it gets launched, it's like, that's old news. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So not that that's that big of a deal, but it, we it heard is about of, that soft contact lens for myopia control from everybody already. Right. You know, yeah. seriously, it's like, though, annoying. It's know? like, yo, we heard about this day one. Yeah, but we recorded this a month and a half ago. You heard from us first, but really, they didn't. We recorded yeah. it so, a month and a half ago. There's some of that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, the the um. So the conversations I've been having recently have been a, a lot of private equity stuff. Yeah. Uh, it really, I, I don't know why it's been so interesting to me, but it, but it has been really fascinating actually. Um, for example, just today I found out that uh, we had a legislative conference. I didn't find out that today I was there, but, <laughs> but I found out today at the legislative conference that, you know, we had um, two large practices within the last three years sell to private equity in Nebraska, the biggest, probably the biggest private practices um, in Nebraska. And one of the things I never even really thought about was that, um, you know, I, I had this intuition that it's, it's not necessarily bad for the profession, you know, in the first spinoff, but possibly quite bad for the profession in what what occurs over time because of the ability to get into private practice for younger doctors and the biggest thing in my in my mind is is the potential for not as good of mentorship i think that's that's key but sure. one of the things i found out was um was that a one of these practices that had been historically per, paying dues and and um and figuring out ways through their ownership to reimburse for like in a legal way to reimburse for pack donations. Mm. Uh, you'd have to still take it as a, as like a disper- a distribution or, a, 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 um, in your, in your ownership. But, but in any case, 
Um, now these docs that were really, they were, um, automatic members, you know, their business paid for their membership. They were automatic high level pack donors. Uh, it's definitely hurt our pack and it potentially even could hurt our membership. Um, so we've heard that as well. Um, so man, I was like, wow, that that's it's sort of something I thought about, but I didn't really think like, I was like, especially in this first generation of spinoffs, like these guys are the guys that have built the profession. And now all of a sudden they're thinking, I'm not going to be a member because my business can't pay for it. I'm thinking that's crazy. Totally. So th- those are, so that's why, so for me, I'm kind of curating a number of these and I'm trying to keep them close um, as opposed to like, you know, I, I don't usually do a bunch of stuff that's fresh. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to be the first one talking about a new FDA approved medication or whatever. I'm trying to get deeper into a uh, conversation and an idea. Uh, so it's why it, I think stacking them works for me like that. Um, but it took me a while to curate all the kind of series of private equity conversations I wanted to have. Um, anyway, have you listened to Gary Wirtz at all? You know who he is? Um, I might have. ophthalmologist and he, no, he, no. um, has a podcast, which he hasn't kept up with. There's older ones. Uh, maybe the latest one is August of 2019. I'm looking at it right now. It's called ophthalmology off the grid. It's uh, oh, a, yeah. I have, YouTube. I have listened to it. Yeah. Yes. He's pretty good. <clears throat> but he has one on private equity and it was done in December of 2018. Did you listen to that one? I didn't. Nope. There was a, you should listen to it. It's a really interesting um take by a pretty well-known um uh very successful uh private practice or group owner uh ophthalmologist who I'll say in the nineties, he was part of a practice. His dad was an ophthalmologist. He went off to school. Um, the dad, for some reason, sold the practice while he was away. The, the, the son came back, wasn't hired by the practice that was sold. Long story short, he joined some other practice, built hmm. the practice, was an owner, owned a surgical suite, ended up selling the surgical suite to private equity. Later down the road, he kept the practice, and now all this stuff is going on with private equity. Anyway, he explains in a really eloquent way, eloquent way, the value of your practice as you mm. own it, and the life and longevity. Like, really, it's math. Yeah, it's, it's math. Math. If yeah. you sit down and figure out the math, we can figure this out. This is not that hard, people. Figure out the math. Number one, that's the one thing, right? There's math. Yeah. And so he puts in a really eloquent way the math and the value of you and your practice and what that is, what that real value should be to you. And that that's like the biggest investment part. So that really just blew my mind. It's a great podcast. Yeah. Um, and then the part that you're talking about is the part that, you know, tugs at my heartstrings mm-hmm. too. And I've talked about this a lot. I'm very involved, you know, as well. And just like you and, um, <clears throat> I see no bigger threat to our profession than private equity. That's, and I've said it on the podcast. I put it on Facebook. I say it to my friends um, and we need more people saying it. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. The numbers, the numbers, you're right. So I, I felt like Brad Biriego, I had a conversation with him and I think it posted last, I want to listen to this guy, but um, Brad did a really good job of explaining the numbers. He's because he's bought practices. He's still yeah. a, a private practitioner, but he owns enough practices to know how, how, how it all works and how you're yeah. going to value a, a practice. And he understands EBITDA. And, um, and when you dig into the numbers, it, it is just not, it's just not that good a deal. 
No. So, like to think about building. So you've been in practice now for six years. Yep. Five, six years. Yep. And you think about what you've built in your practice and, and the value that that occurs. And, and even you, Roya, you're, um, you're in a group practice, correct? Totally. And, and the, the value that you've built over those six years. Um, and if you were going to turn around and sell it for the next six years of revenue or eight years of revenue, and then that's it. I mean, it's like, man, I've done all the hard work. Yeah. Right. No way. And I mean, plus, I like, I like being the boss. Yeah. I yeah. like being the boss, you know? And I, what I see in private equity is people who maybe aren't good bosses, mm. right? Mm. Like they might like being the boss, but they're not thriving necessarily. They're, mm. they're making ends meet. They're paying, they're paying their bills, but like maybe they, I'm, I'm not condoning yeah. it by any means, but I'm I saying know. the people who like, there are people that aren't good bosses. <laughs> like they're just not good at it. They're not good at managing a lot of people. They're not sure. good at doing all the things you need to do to be a good boss. Sure. And so someone comes in and says like, Hey, I'm going to take care of all of that right. and pay you out. Like, of course that looks like a shining like momentum yeah. to that. Like that looks, that's great. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not that good at it. This is not bringing me a lot of joy right now. That's, and I want that's money. That's a good point. Yeah. Mm. Right. So I'm not saying to condone it by any means, right. but like there are doctors that just aren't that good of managers and maybe there is something that's better for them. And granted, they could easily sell to someone else. That's, that's but, it right there. That's the point. Yeah. That's the missing thing. And so that's, I think the issue is that if they don't sell to another optometrist, you know, then another doctor who may be inspired to lead the profession forward is not going to get that chance. And that's True. You know, exactly what you're talking about with now this, this big group who supported optometry. Yeah. They're not going to do that anymore. You know, honestly, um, Chris, what I think is going to happen, this is my um, hypothesis. I think for those of us that hold out, it is going to be a very good thing for us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know the guy down the road is a big. It's a big ophthalmology group. They've got ten locations, and it's been nothing but a disaster. You know, and easy for me to say. Do I want to kind of hear that a little bit? Yeah, but, sure. You know, it's not good. They're you know they're even less motivated to work. You know, and they were all worker bees before, but they're even less motivated to work now. So it's fine. You know, yeah. and you better believe I'm telling patients. You know, oh yeah, you know we're. Did you hear that group down the road? They're now owned by somebody out in, you know, West Jabip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, mean, just even think about, right think about you know, they want to come and, and ask for their baseball team or their, or their volleyball team about, you know, just going to happen. It's just not going to happen, you know, yeah. and that's easy. Look, I, look, I can't, I can't help you out because I'm not the, I'm not the owner anymore. You have to talk to the guy in Florida yeah. or wherever. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I'm, I, so I guess I, I've sort of explored it enough. I, I, I've tried to main, like maintain, at least on the podcast, I've tried to maintain some a semblance of neutrality. Don't do it. But, but the reality is, is that I'm just trying to do that so I can try to explore <laughs> what other people are thinking. But the reality is, is that I, no. I, have, a, I have a pretty strong opinion about it. Yeah. And, cool. um, and, uh, and like you, I mean, there's two, two thoughts I have. I, I think on the one hand from... Um, from my practice standpoint, there's, I completely agree with you. The differentiator between what those practices are doing now or will be doing in the next few years is becomes a clear delineation between what services and uh, that we provide in our practice. 
So they, so it's a, a black and white night and day issue. But on the other hand, I have this idea, I guess, and maybe it's um, altruistic, but I have this idea that a rising tide elevates all ships. And so if, if the perception of the profession becomes one that reverts back to uh, a, a profession that's essentially prescribing glasses and contacts, which is what ophthalmology wants people to think. Um, and if that occurs, then it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help anybody. So right. those, are the, those are the kind of the duality of things that I struggle with. So I guess my practice will be fine. I'm confident it will be, but, but the profession is a bigger issue. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. One last thing I'll say about it and then I'll shut up. Um, the uh, scariest thing that I encountered with this recently was I was at uh, Pennsylvania College of Optometry recently doing a scleral lab and lecture. and um, we got to talking about various labs and how some of those labs have been bought out by big entities, mm. private equity. Mm. And, and we don't even uh, know about that. Oh yeah. Nobody even hears about it. Nobody knows. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't. So, and I said, well, you know, that's happened a lot in practices too. And everybody just looked at me like, you know, I had 65,000 heads. And I said, does anybody here even, has anybody here even heard the word private equity? There were 60 people in the room, not one person raised their mm. hand. They had mm. no clue. It was fourth, third, second, first year students. It was just come as you want, you know, but nobody knew. And I believe that nobody really knew. Now, do they need to know? Not really, but I think they, and it's not doom and gloom because I really think there's tons of opportunity out there and it's all good, but we should know about it. Just like, you know, when I was at school, nobody was talking about online refractions or online, you know, nobody was talking about that stuff. In fact, I remember, um, talking about online glasses and somebody saying, well, that'll never be a big thing. Hmm. (laughs) So we got to get with these things and, and face them head on talk about them openly and honestly. Yeah. Roy, what do you think um, when you think about kind of the, the hot topics that you're interested in right now, is there kind of a resounding thing that you keep coming back to in the profession, whether it's, research or whether it's new treatments or, um, you know, issues that are bubbling up? What do you think? I mean, like a specific topic, yeah, generally just speaking. In general, yeah. Something I mean, that keeps coming up in your mind. Everyone right now is talking about dry eye, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the, one of the most popular topics for sure, I, I'd say. Um, you see it on every list of speakers. They're having secondary topics just on that or sep- like whole conferences on that, which wasn't a thing in the past as much. Um, I, of course, luckily, I not of course, you don't necessarily know this, but like I do enjoy dry eye, so it makes mm-hmm. it more enjoyable. But I think the anterior segment in general is something that optometry can really take real control over when it, ta- when it comes to treating dry eye or when it's treating the eye and how much it affects the vision. So I, I do find that that's been a big conversation. Um, don't you think that once you start noticing that, like, I, I don't know anything about the way you practice, but once you start noticing, like, just start looking at the meibomian glands. And once you really take a critical look at them, you can't ever go back. I mean, I'll walk in on a patient. I'll like walk in on a patient that, um, you know, we, we try, we you know, a billing is a whole other conversation that we could have. But, you know, if, if my staff does a very good job about, you know, trying to figure out is the patient here for their, you know, comprehensive routine, routine right. exam sure. or, 
um, or if, if there's something else driving them and they always capture both their medical and their, and their vision plans. But, um, but like it'll, I'll have, you know, on the chart, it will say the patient only wants their routine. That's all like, it, because they've, they've told the people up front that that's all they want. Right. And they've reiterated a number of times and I go in there and I'm thinking, don't look at the meibomian glands. Don't look at the meibomian glands. Don't, look at my, don't talk about them. Don't talk about them. Don't talk about them. Don't talk. About them. And then sure enough, I have to press, Boom. I have to look yeah. and I have to talk about them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's like, there's no turning back. It's true. Actually, like I was thinking about that recently. I, I'm jealous. Jimmy recently got IPL and I've been one, like I've been very on the precipice, but I'm not a shareholder. Right. So like I can't make that decision. <laughs> and, but I'm mentally, I've had it for six months. Mm. Right. And that is disturbing to me because I'm sitting at these patients and I have, have like all the other tools. I have <laughs> everything, but IPL in my office. And I am like gr- grimacing. Cause I'm mm. like, I am not, I can't even tell you what I like, I want to flash can't. an unbearably bright light in your face right now. I can't it feels like give a you a recommendation. Yeah. I feel like I'm turning people away from my practice and it's pathetic. And it's like, I know that my other treatments can be helpful for you, but like, yeah. that's not the best option for you. Mm. I, I think that once you start, once you start realizing certain treatments are available, it's like, am I doing someone a disservice mm. by not actually talking about it? Yeah. Nope. So how do you rectify that? Go What's ahead. the, yeah. How do you, yeah. How do you, how do you rectify that? So, I mean, honestly, I just break down the situation, right? Like if there is, for instance, my bone gland dysfunction with very, very obvious and very like, you know, moderate to severe ocularization, then I know now through time that lipoflow as a treatment option, though it's not hurtful, it's not necessarily the best treatment right now. In the future, it'd probably be great, but mm. like, all of this inflammation's not going to break through this inflammatory right. process going on in the lid. And I might give you all the steroid, all the cyclosporin, and all, all the stuff to try and calm that down too. But that doesn't mean that that's not the best option. Right. So I'll try and do everything I can in my power, but I, I do think the order of operations is super crucial in dry eye. When, when you think about, when you're talking about um, the distinguisher between rosacea and ocular rosacea, like let's say you're teaching this, what would you use as the, like if you were going to put in your chart rosacea or ocular rosacea, what would you say is kind of the distinguisher in your mind between the two? Do you have kind of a clear delineation between how you describe those? You know, I've thought about this before and I guess the way that I really come down to it, and again, I don't do IPL yet, ideally, I will in the future, but so maybe the way I'll say this and the, what I, how my true understanding will change, but when I think about rosacea, I think about really, and what I understand of it is an inflammatory process and it does affect the skin and it does affect the oil glands of the face and it does affect the blood vessels, right? It's causing this telangiectatic effect on throughout the skin. And so does it really matter that it's ocular or cheek? I think it's really about wh- what part of the face or eyes or whatever is the most inflamed or nose or ears. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's just what gets inflamed more and why I don't really know why it happens more in some people's cheeks and doesn't on other people or why it's really only in the lids and not. So I'm not sure if it really matters. I think it's really about seeing those, those blood, like engorged blood vessels and the lid margin start to honestly change in anatomy like that alone mm-hmm. whether i put it as ocular rosacea or rosacea i'm not sure it really matters that much 
I don't know. That's my opinion. I don't no, know. If that's it's okay. Right. No, I'm not. I'm not trying that? to play. I'm not trying to play gotcha. I'm just trying to help the listeners kind of distinguish in their minds the different terminology. And I think um, the reason there's a uh, let me just if you don't mind say something. I think the only reason there is a difference here is because that rosacea is defined by dermatologists. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and they weren't looking at the eye. You know, so I think if they were really, you know, I think ocular rosacea came about because people had symptoms. And they said, oh, yeah, your eyes are red. So you probably have rosacea in your eye, too. And look a little closer. Yeah, they are red. Show me a rosacea patient that doesn't have ocular rosacea. Yeah, absolutely. Show me one. And, and I think the, the other <laughs> challenge, yeah, it, it's, of course, it, 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 it's hand in glove. I mean, I think, I mean, I definitely would say that you would have, I haven't seen one patient with even mild dermatological rosacea that's non-ocular uh, really? that doesn't have lid margin that that's are that are notched and atrophic yeah. and irregular um but probably the better question or the better nuance is when you think clinically about the difference between seeing small telangiectetic vessels along the eyelid underneath the microscope at what point are you starting to call that rosacea yes i think that's the question it totally i mean and yeah. you know on that same note i'm gonna second your question Okay, and this is something that I actually, it like tears me up a little bit because um, we actually just had a new ophthalmologist join our group. She came, she's trained out of uh, UCSF Proctor mm-hmm. uh, Foundation and they don't really believe in a lot of like MGD mm-hmm. stuff, which that's a whole nother discussion. I'm not going to go there. Well, what does it mean? I, I, they're just going to take okay. out the reality and insert words, their own? or I don't want to put words Artificial in their mouth, tears. but a, like they treat a lot of <laughs> ocularization, let's put it that way. And like think about ocular rosacea or just rosacea and then think about like i can say this I, everyone can see my cheeks who's seeing right now like mm. if i'm hot and i put heat on my cheeks they're gonna get hotter and more uncomfortable why is our only treatment for my mm. gland dysfunction heat yeah. especially chronic heat we're telling people to put 10 minutes of 107 degrees 108 degrees fahrenheit consistently I'm going to tell you that my cheeks will get hotter and redder. And that, that doesn't mean I'm not treating this underlying meibomian gland dysfunction, which happens to be surrounded by this tissue that's getting swollen. Mm-hmm. And meibomian gland dysfunction is when there's thickening or hardening or whatever dysfunction of these oil glands. So we're trying to melt. That's all a warm compress is really doing, melting that oil, right? Mm. But then t- the tissue around it is getting more swollen. And so like how it's this double-edged sword a little bit. So I think really seeing what is the bigger problem, right? Is the bigger problem that when I press, it's toothpaste? Like, then we need to make that thin. Is the bigger problem that you have inflammation around your lids that just looks terrible and, like, nothing comes out? Then I think that heat's actually maybe not your first line of treatment. It's treating the inflammation. You know, it's this, that's when I, that's when it's harder for me, I think. It's super obvious when someone comes in and there's, aqueous deficient style dry eye with keratitis and like that's almost like a slam dunk for me that's easy to fix yeah versus when there's a bunch of lid disease like who do you fix first and like just doing one without the other and not treating everything as a package it's it's just not efficient and it doesn't work that well you know and that's and that is the challenge i think for you know when we're talking to the general practitioner who sees this stuff wants to do something Totally. But then, they, then, then you get into the nuance, Roy, of what you just talked about. And it's like, oh, man, 
how am I going to do this? And, and so there, I, I, I actually, um, and, and maybe it's my simplicity, but I actually believe that there is sort of this protocol that can make most patients better. Um, and then the nuance comes in the last 10 to 15%. And as you sure. get better, and as you start, like if you implement that protocol, and it's not hard, I mean, you basically look for signs of inflammation, you look for signs of meibomian gland dysfunction. And if you have one and not the other, you treat one. If you have both, you treat both. And if you have the other, you treat the other, right? So it's Easy. not hard. Right. And then as you do that and you gain more confidence and you see what works and, and totally. then, then you can add that nuance. But the conversation we've just had in five minutes, basically, and even all these dry eye um, workshops and single, you know. Boot uh, camps. Yes. They're all, I mean, they're awesome, but, sure. but like to a guy that's going to come back, my, my biggest concern is I see people going to them and then they come back and it's like, I don't know. I mean, how do I, how do I do this in my practice? Or I, you have the conversation with somebody like, okay, we're going to do IPL. We're going to do LipaFlow. And then that, that transitions back into, you know, the front staff. We're going to have to be, have the confidence to talk about it. Totally. And then, um, and then you get one patient that pushes back on you. And there's nobody else there to be like, hey, that's, don't worry about that. You just, yeah. it's the next patient that you're going to talk to. And you can't make people do what they don't want to do. You can just right. totally. give them the best advice. Um, but, that, I, but I, you know, that's, I think, the biggest challenge for our profession is that you got people out there that they probably want to do this stuff. And so they'll start to dabble in it a little bit. And then at the first sign where things get hard before they get easy again, and before they can get all the nuance that you just described, they shut down. Oh, and yeah. they think, ah, you know, it's not going to work for our practice. Well, I think most things in eyes have like a pretty straightforward treatment. I mean, whether it be glaucoma, I mean, not saying that these are straightforward diseases, but there's like a, you know, A or B, if not choose C sort mm -hmm. of thing versus in dry eye. It's, I tell my patients this a lot, but it's like, if you have back pain, it could be because you're slouching. It could be because you broke a bone. It could be because you have a slip disc. It could be because you actually have stomach pain that's radiating to your back. Like mm -hmm. there's all these reasons. And if we just try and send you to PT for your back pain, which when really you have a like torn muscle or something, like I can't even talk about it. That's, I feel like that's probably how some people talk about drives, but it's, yeah. it's not actually dealing with it. Like I've been treating a mm. lot of patients recently because I've been involved in this study with patients that have ocular manifestations of graft versus host disease. Mm. And oh, like, it breaks my heart because on the daily, I'm seeing these people that have two to three plus corneal staining and they're doing warm compresses and artificial tears. Yeah. And it's like, who's looking at your eye and why are you doing like, I'm not saying a warm compress is a bad idea. Of course you have gland dysfunction, but they're like, I was diagnosed with meibomian gland dysfunction and I have bad dry eyes. And it's like, no, you have severe dry eye as a side effect of mm -hmm. this disease process you have that you can't produce here. In fact, you're the most basic aqueous deficient type of dry eye that there is because you actually can't make tear right now. Yet we're, we're, we're treating wing B, you're right? Like we're not mm. treating the true problem. And so I think that's where people really need to sit down and think like, what is actually the problem here? Or I saw online on like OS docs or one of those Facebook groups where people were like, they just got all excited about learning about all these different um, dry eye tests. And they had, they had asked something like, should I get tear osmolarity testing or should I get 
Inflammatory. Um, dry. Mm. And it's like, why is that a choice? Like, right, right. That? If you want to do it, just do it. Why would you want to only have the spelling yeah. of the word? Well, it, it's crazy because it, it's like neither one of those tests are tests that you have any upfront investment in something you're not going to use and get reimbursed yeah. for. Right. So it's not like you have to, I mean, anymore with osmolarity, you're not, you don't buy the equipment. I mean, yeah, they'll, they, I mean, so, so all you're doing is using the disposables. Right. And, and so it's just like they haven't gotten, nobody's really sat them down and saying, you're going to have to get a CLIA waiver anyway. Yeah. And so you want to do one, you might as well do both. Right. right. If you're going to do it, just yeah. dive all the way in. What do you guys or, think about, what do you guys think about MMPs and, and using that uh, in your practices? How is it, how does that change your dry eye algorithm? protocol i mean i say this all the time like i yeah. literally change if, if if i see a testing with inflammatory that's positive it literally changes my protocol yeah i mean it's such a it's i don't know why everyone who has any interest whatsoever in dealing with any sort of eye discomfort wouldn't have that test it's so valuable to me yeah especially I, when a wide eye comes in yes with no staining yep i love it when it comes up positive it's like Boom. Yep. Easy. Let's make this better. You're yeah. going to, it's such a. I've like tech sprinkle MMP9s on, <laughs> on their eyes before I check. I'm like, look, there it is. Yeah. We're doing this. Yeah. Four plus positive before I've even I, finished right. doing the test. Not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I, test. yeah, I think so too. I think, um, so I, th I think it's highly valuable in patients with no staining. I mean, I, the, so again, we're getting into nuance. And if, if you're talking about dry, I think the simplest thing I always tell people is you don't need a mybographer. You don't need a, uh, an osmolarity. You don't need inflammatory. Those are all great. What yep. you need is a history and you need to press on oil glands. You need to look at the lids. You need to stain. If you yeah. can do that, you're going to know. Yep. Fluorescein and lysamine green. Yep. I agree. You need both. You need both. Yep. Uh, because people, and I also think you got to get out of, I mean, on the nuance with that, I think, uh, you know, you definitely can't just look at the cornea and that's what your people are yep. just trained to look for, right? right? So you right. got to look at the conjunctiva, but you can't just look at the bulbar conjunctiva because you're going to miss all the lid wiper. Totally. And so, uh, I mean, I find in my practice, lid wiper is ex like significant lid wiper is exceedingly more common mm -hmm. than significant bulbar conch staining. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, but people will miss it. So they'll think, oh, there's no staining. There's no inflammation. And then you look at the lids and it's like, holy cow, it's horrible. Right. But, but the, but I think osmolarity, you know, it's a pass through. It's basically pass through. I mean, you're, you're not making anything that's worth the test right. except for the fact that um, you're adding billable, um, you're adding complexity to your exam, which increases your, your 99 code levels. I like that. Um, and, but the, the real reason is not because of, of the money you make from it, it's the information yeah. you get. And I love being able to label something, you know, a four plus positive inflammatory with 359 in one eye and 328 in the other eye. And then we, we initiate treatment and they come back and they're like, I don't know. I mean, we do a speed score. I'm not sure if there's any improvement, but the speed scores improve by 25% and totally. their osmolarity now is 308 and 304. Totally. And their inflammatory has gone from a four plus down to a, a one plus. Totally. And, 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 and like, think about confidence. If you don't have those things in your chart and a patient comes back and they're like, I'm not sure how much better I'm doing. And you can say, look, all they want, I'll tell you 95% of the time when patients come back, you know, this, when they come back and they say, I'm not sure how much better I'm doing. All they want to do is, is do you have objective measures doc that can tell me I'm doing better? 
Right. And when you have that, it's, it's like, oh yeah, okay, great. You're doing awesome. Keep right. it up. We're going to keep going down this path. I mean, we know we all feel dryness from time to time, but most of us literally, it probably go like I sense it and immediately reject the thought of me being <laughs> uncomfortable. Like I don't even necessarily feel the feeling of pain, right? Like think about like when you're walking and you step on your ankle wrong, you don't mm. like usually whine the whole day because you didn't actually hurt, but it hurt the moment you stepped on it. And I feel like sometimes with patients with dry eye, they like will feel the pain of dryness coming and then it, it just like resonates with them the rest of the day, right? And I'm not saying that it, pain isn't a legit thing, but we know and there's been studies, especially out of like Miami and Boston, that dry eye pain causes this emotional pain as well mm. that actually mm-hmm. is more significant than what back pain can cause. And so there is an amount of a like psychosomatic part of this disease, especially for people that have had it for a chronic period of time, or it's like had a long time, that they need that reinforcement that like, it is normal to feel this sometimes. And you just have to have better coping mechanisms by doing X, Y, Z, these things that I'm teaching you so that you can get through your day and not have to think about your eyes all day. Have you, have you ever had like pain that has gotten on that, that chronic level before? Have either of you ever had that? Can't say that I have. So, so the only thing I could relate, you know, my dry eye patients pain to is, um, is I, about four or five years ago, I was um, at a buddy's house. One of my buddies from optometry school, we get together at least once a year and we were lifting in his basement. I was doing bent over rows and my back just slipped. Ooh. And, um, and it, it was like immediate, like I had, to, I was laying on the couch the rest of the weekend, the kids were running around and, um, and it was like four months. I was like, yeah, this will get better. You know, it got better and I was able to run and kind of get back to it. But, um, I, I was, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to start taking, you know, I was, I was popping ibuprofen all the time. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to start taking pain meds. So I, I saw a chiropractor who was a patient of mine and, um, and like immediately he popped it back in and the relief psychologically that I got from like within that first five minutes of feeling, I mean, I had to go through treatments to get it back to where it was, where it is normal. But, um, the fact that he could relieve that pain within five minutes Wow. It was like, like, um, immediate, like, okay, I'm not going to have to live with this. Yeah. You know, I was getting yeah. to the point where I was like four months in, I'm like, man, I'm going to have to, I'm just nagging back pain for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I, I can kind of put myself in our patient's situation, right. Where they've got no relief and no hope really. The only hope totally. that anybody's given them is artificial tears and warm compresses. Yeah. You know, and that's not hope. No, it's not. I, I mean, on that same note, it's like, as as a doctor, we need to be able to provide care and ideally like standard of care, right? Or exceed the standard of care. But also not, not everyone can do everything. So mm-hmm. finding people in your community who are truly passionate about something like this. Like if you don't wanna have all the things, that's fine. You don't have to have all the things to survive, but like you need to be interested in not just like only narrowing in on treating bulimia and gland dysfunction. Right, right like being a kind of a comprehensive center for understanding the ocular surface or knowing when to implement scleral lenses or knowing when to put on a Procara or whatever, all these different tools, like they each have their, uh, you know, treatment value. And you need to either know when you can start learning more and get interested. And if that's not what you're interested in, like 
jump ship. That's okay too. But don't yep. act like it's the best the patient can do. It's like when a patient comes into me and says, oh, I want to be fit with an eye print today. I offer eye print at my office, which is the custom mold of Yeah, the, how do you like that? Things great. I mean, honestly, it's a breeze. It's like you don't do anything for it. But <laughs> it is so great. But it's like, I look They're at- They're kind of snobby. They, I, I've reached out to them. I fit a ton of scleral lenses and, and they don't even call me back. <laughs> you gotta, you're, you're not gotta, good enough, Greg. Yeah, I know. It makes me feel bad. I need to get Valley Contacts in here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, but you like it. It's good. You like it. But it's caught. It's expensive. It's a tool, it's a tool yeah. that's great. And again, but the, the problem is most people don't need that, right? Right. Like right. most of the time, I probably get a referral every six months just straight from their website of someone coming in, say, like asking for that. And I look at either the eye and I'm like you have a quiet white normal eye like you just have a steep cornea that needs to be fit with a better scleral lens or like the patient the person who was doing it before doesn't do any torque mm. haptics so like right. you're just of course your lens is uncomfortable you know and then rarely it's like okay this is legit like let's do it like and I'm happy to do it either way like, I'd love to just fit everyone with an eye print it's really easy for me but honestly it's not necessary and it is expensive. It's a big, it's a big investment for the patients. So, mm. and it's honestly it costs a lot for us too. So it's, it's a big cost on my end, and it's a big cost for the patients when it's not always needed. Like it's, it's all cool if you're doing it once, but like honestly, people need to get lenses more than once. Yeah. And so I feel like if you can fit them in a scleral lens and a conventionally fit scleral lens, it's, it's worth that because you don't need that customization most of the time.